on your part. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things track and field related. Where are you going to go? OnTrackAndField.com. Say it with me. OnTrackAndField.com. You like Gil? Yes, you do. Everyone likes Gil. How about UCS? How about Freelap? I just posted something with Cooper Cup, arguably one of the greatest wide receivers. He uses Freelap. You want a Freelap? Go to OnTrackAndField.com. Gil Fusion 10 Blocks. They don't have sensors in on them, and they're not DQing people like Devin Allen, who didn't deserve that. So you can go to ontrackandfield.com and get good blocks, unlike whatever Eugene was using. How dare they? Well, without further ado, with me right now is Coach Mickey Myla. He's the head track and field coach and cross-country coach at Gordon College in Massachusetts, home of the Fighting Scots. Yeah. Mickey has seen success at all levels as an athlete, high school coach, assistant sprint coach at a D2 and D3 schools, and currently is moving from Southern California to Massachusetts again to take over Gordon College's uh, program. This past season, two of Mila's student athletes were named U.S. Track and Field and Cross Country Coaches Association. If you want me to spell that out for you, it's USTFCCCA. We'll have to work on that one. But they were named All-Americans after finishing top 10 in the national championships. Pretty awesome season. But here's the deal. He's been successful any place he's been. That's why I wanted him on, because he's doing something right. So, Coach Myla, thank you for joining me. I appreciate being here, man. I really, um, yeah, I was listening to, you know, guys like Trevor Bassett and Ernie Clark and stuff, and I, like, have no idea what I'm doing on this podcast. So I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I also think it's an honor to, I, I think that's, that could have been your best intro ever in the history of this podcast. And I'm just so grateful to be able to witness it live on video here. <laughs> well, let's just cut the podcast short and, you know, yes. quit when we're ahead, you know, go out on and top. A high note, man. Yeah. I actually want to talk about division two and division three. And I hope I'm not throwing you a curveball real, you know, right at the beginning of the podcast, but there's something really interesting about Southern California. And I know a lot of different coaches across the country are feeling and seeing this. We have to go D1. You have to get a full ride scholarship. You have to get that NIL money. That is few and far between. between, And that's not something that we should aspire our, as fathers or children to go do as coaches and mentors. What is it about a division two and division three school that, we should be aware of and should be pointing our kids toward what, towards what is the benefit of these types of schools? Well, you know, I was listening to, uh, like I said, I was listening to your interview with, with Trevor Bassett the other day. And, uh, you know, he's probably, especially these days, uh, probably one of the most per- predominant division two athletes out there right now. And um, yeah. And he's you know, at the time that we are doing this, I mean, we're, we're anticipating him having a, a big day in the finals here in the 400 hurdles, but uh, you know, one of the things he said is he wanted to compete for championships and, you know, 99% of high school athletes coming out of high school, they're, they're going to have a hard time just making it into the division one regional meet, uh, let alone have a chance to, to compete for championships. So, uh, from a track perspective, you know, I think that it gives you an opportunity to race on a big stage, um, even though, you know, with, without having to be world-class, right? So, uh, but ultimately, you know, I think that there's great coaches in every level. Um, but, you know, I think when it comes to 
Yeah. When it comes to coaches at the, at the D2, D3 level, generally speaking, you're going to get coaches that are a little bit less transactional. Um, and they're, they're used to developing athletes. You know, you're going to get mixed in with athletes that, uh, you know, that weren't state champions, you know, that, that want to come in and work hard. And, uh, you know, they, they haven't, yeah, they haven't dominated their field. So, um, so you're going to be intermingled with people who want to work hard. And then you're going to be, you're typically going to find coaches that, that care about you as a person and that care about you as, as you, they develop you, uh, as an athlete. It's interesting for you to say that because one advice that myself, and I know a couple of other good coaches do is they try to tell the athletes go somewhere that you're going to be taken care of. So when you're recruiting, is that something that you're really kind of pushing? Like, Hey, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to be you're on your team. You're important to me. You're not just like you said, transactional, not that all D one programs are like that, right? But we're not here to win a division one championship. This is something different. We're not here to get you a sponsorship by Puma or Lululemon or whoever. Right. 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 Yeah. We don't have the big NIL money and stuff like that, you know, for the, for the most part, typically. And, um, but at those lower levels, um, like you said, yeah, I think that there's definitely, like, like I said, at all levels, you're going to get coaches that really care about their athletes. But when I'm, when I am recruiting athletes, I, I am looking for people who I know, like I said, they want to be developed. They want to be, uh, you know, they want to work hard. They have a passion for the sport and that, you know, above, you know, above the times that you run or the, the events that you do, I'd say that probably is the first requirement before we can kind of move forward in the recruiting processes. I got to believe that you want to be better uh, because, you know, a lot of times in high school, you know, you, you might just naturally get better from getting bigger and, you know, just have it, obviously having the right coach. Uh, but what I've, you know, what I've said to, what I've said to my athletes this past year is the faster you get uh, you know, you have to put in 10 times the effort to get one tenth of the return. And that's kind of how it, how it is when you get to college is, you know, you can make these big jumps An 11, five kid can, can get down to 11, three, 11, one and, and break 10 by the time he, he finishes high school. But you might have to work really hard to go from 10, nine to 10, eight. And yeah, that, that delayed gratification becomes that much more delayed, I guess. And you have to work that much harder to get there. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm looking for those athletes that, that really want to work hard. And, um, honestly that, that just, yeah, they have a passion for the sport. I know you and I know you, I've known you for a long time. And one thing that's always impressed me about you was the sense of you really care about the whole person. You care about, um, mentoring them and guiding them and being there and being available, being an advisor. I mean, this is something that it's not, I mean, let's be honest. That's not every coach. I mean, that's, that's not every teacher is, has it been difficult for you to do that in like the places you've been at Simpson college, Biola in down here in LA um, now that Gordon university, is that always been something that's been easy or hard for you? Like, has there been roadblocks for you through the NCAA or the own school? I mean, are you allowed just to take people out for coffee or an athlete out for a meal? Well, that, that type of stuff, it does. I mean, it gets, yeah, it gets tricky. And obviously like we go out to lunch and I go, well, you're gonna have to pay for yourself. Like I can't pay for you. Like you can't do those, those things. Yeah, that swipe are your card. It's part of the, right, school, right. right? <laughs> right. Um, it can't be construed as like an added benefit for the athlete, but, um, 
but honestly, you know, I think most athletes, once you get into, into the college level, they, they kind of understand those types of rules. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm the, and I, again, maybe this kind of goes back to your last question of, you know, what you're going to get at a, at a lower level, you know, with a lower level coach. I'm kind of, you know, I'll be walking my dog and yeah, I'm thinking about training. I'm thinking about like how I'm training athletes and stuff, but really I'm thinking about people. I'm thinking about how am I, what do I need to do to unlock that individual that, you know, what's their roadblock that we need to get over together. Uh, and I truly feel like I'm in it with them, you know, like, like it's, it's 50% their effort and their commitment and 50% my, my effort and my commitment. Um, and that's why, yeah, like I'll just be, yeah, it, whenever I, you know, I'm driving or like I said, I'm walking my dog in the morning. It's just like, that's where my, my mind naturally goes is how to, how to care for these athletes best. Um, and yeah. And so as far as kind of some of the, the compliance stuff, you know, in terms of, you know, like taking kids out for lunch and stuff, that's not, that's not so hard. It's more, you know, um, you know, it's not about the lunch. It's about the conversation. Right. Mm. Um, you're an avid reader. I known you for, I mean, you're not, and I say this wholeheartedly, you're not an old seasoned soul like myself, but (laughs) here's the thing. Like I see you do certifications. I follow you on social media. You're always seeking out mentorship. You're going after these certifications with, you know, USATF, um, you know, you're trying to get a level one, two, three, all this. Can you walk us through and tell us from your experience, what's something that you have found really beneficial from this pursuit of further understanding and knowledge and science of the sport? Like, honestly, selfishly, I'm kind of hoping you can tell me and steer me in the right direction so I can learn more. I don't want to waste my time. Tell me the best place to go. Well, you know, man, you, you, you have mentored me a lot in a lot of ways. So I, I, I don't know if I can necessarily give you any kind of secret sauce or anything. I mean, I, uh, I am a big fan of the USTF CCCA certifications. I, you know, um, I want to be able to get, I want to be able to coach every event and at, at some point in my career and just be confident in it. And I think that's what, uh, I know those, those certifications do in particular is they just give you confidence that you can, um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is it, it helped me think through an entire annual plan and, and progression. And I, I remember, I think it was Brian Kula on this podcast, and he's probably said it on, on other areas as well. And he, he talked about the, the chili analogy of how there's, you know, everybody's, we're, we're all using the same ingredients. Some people like, like it a little bit more spicy or a little bit more meaty and things like that. Um, but I think that that's what those, co- those courses helped with. It's just helped me see the, how to properly progress athletes all the way from August through May, right? Because uh, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they get used to these short cycles or something like that. Um, but how do you really kind of go all the way back and say, okay, what do we want to focus on here? What's the foundation of what we're focusing on in August and September and things like that? But uh, I mean, honestly, the most beneficial things that I think any athlete or any coach, I should say, can do is just observe be curious, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions or, or push the status quo. And I think that's something I'm, I'm learning in my own, I guess, coaching journey is, you know, asking myself, well, why do I do it that way? And not being satisfied with, uh, you know, well, this is how, this is how most people do it. This is how I've always done it. This is where I found success. 
and kind of being comfortable with uh, experimenting and trying new things. And um, yeah, and I honestly, I think learning through observation and experimentation are probably the, the two biggest things that the certifications are nice, but those are actual, you know, you see that with your, with your, you, know, you get your hands on it, you can see it with your own eyes. And um, I think I learned just as much from that stuff than I do any of the, uh, any of the certifications or just as much as I do in the mm-hmm. certifications. I also kind of hear you saying like, I had a wise coach once tell me, Hey, be, don't be afraid to fail. In fact, yeah. seek it out and then learn from it. And I just had on Bob Thernhofer from New Mexico. And he was like, Oh yeah. man, copious notes. Like I just take notes and notes and notes and notes and notes. And I think there's a humility with that, but also recognizing that we don't know it all. And it's, Oh, we don't have systems, you know, we're not pigeonholing or, or, looking and saying, this is our tribe. This is what we do. This is how I do it. It's like, no, no, we're open to learning. But at the end of the day, I love what you just said. It's like, well, I'm thinking about people because whatever I wrote down in this Excel spreadsheet means nothing unless I can get it through to that kid. Well, and I think something that also gets overlooked, um, you know, we always talk about the certification. We talk about learning from each other. And uh, something else I'd like to add in here is, well, learning from your athletes, right? You know, I, I know something that I'm really intentional on is at the end of every semester, uh, I have, you know, a Google, Google sheet that is just an exit survey essentially. And and it kind of breaks down everything that has to do with their training. Um, but also their life, what's going on on the team. And and I just kind of get a sense of where they were at this semester. Uh, and then I get their feedback and a big part of that conversation is, well, what do we need to do differently moving forward? And, you know, I, I, I'm just finishing up a, a four year stint at Biola and what I did this past year looked a lot differently than what I did the first year. And that was in large part because I was listening to the athletes that, you know, that were entrusted to me. Right. And, you know, they have a perspective, especially when you get to the college level, you know, they've, they've been around enough to be like, you know, uh, I think that this, this could have been better. That could have been better. Uh, and then taking an honest look at yourself to, because, you know, I think we take it, we take, uh, we take, what is it, uh, feedback from other coaches and we, we almost prioritize that sometimes. But in reality, it's like the athletes you're working with are the ones that are going to really feel what you're doing. And so how do you effectively take their feedback, you know? Well said. Um, I've never really had a guest on this podcast who was able to answer this question. You have coached at a high level, maybe the highest level at high school. And then you've also coached a very high level at the D2 and D3 school. There's a huge difference between that 14-year-old you get as a freshman versus the 24-year-old you get, you know, when they're when they're almost out of college and you know they're doing their last year of graduate school or whatever. I mean, that is a huge demographic and that's a different athlete. You know. I kind of want you to speak into the differences that you've seen between the high school level and the college level. And I want to like about the kid, you know, the type of yeah. kid and athlete that you're coaching. Um, I'm kind of excited because I've never been able to ask this question because I'm a high school coach. Yeah. Um, well, again, I, and it's, it's a lot of it, you know, I gotta, it's, it's hard to, to paint with, with a broad brush here, but um, you know, I think you're going to get at the high school level, you know, I mean, my experience was you're going to have the kids that are a little bit more elite, the kids that are going to have a chance to, to really do something after or after high school and, and, and have a great college career. Uh, And then you're going to get the kids that are really, you know, 
that are missing every other day for dentist appointments and grandma's birthdays and stuff. And they just, but they just love being a part of the team. And so how do you hold those two things in tension? Right. Uh, you don't get that quite so much at the, at the college level, obviously, you know, we, you know, you create standards and, and things like that so that people uh, are, you know, they're, they're working hard and they're developing. Right. But you don't get emails um, from mom and dad telling you that you're <laughs> dumb and you're an idiot and you shouldn't be doing this. Right. Well, it's not that I haven't interacted with the parents. It's just that by the time you get to college, it's usually the kids that are just, you know, confident enough to say that themselves. Yeah, that uh, it's true. Fair. Uh, but no, uh, you know, I, I, I exactly. And I think you, you actually touched on something there too, is, you know, how are you working with parents and kind of, working with the whole person is, is more required at the high school level. And then at the college level, you're working with the whole person, but you don't have to worry about, you know, um, so much their, their parents and things like that. It's, you know, you can really look to the, the athlete and hold them a little bit more accountable, uh, for their schedules and things like that. But, um, so yeah. Um, this is a, I've never asked, I've always wanted to ask this question and I never have, what does it look like to be a track and field coach in college? Like, this is an interesting job. And to be quite frank, like, I know it's not an easy job, but on paper, it looks easy. It doesn't look like your life's that hard. And, yeah. and by the way, yeah. I, I, me, I know that's not true. Look at me. Right. You look at me. I, you, you can trust me. <laughs> but now here's the thing, though. Like, it, you're not just the track coach either. You're also the director of cross country. And if you go to... NCAA jobs, or you try to look for jobs. That's typically what's going to happen. Yep. Um, and you coach multiple events. Like, I mean, there's a lot of events in track and field. You know, what does the day in life look like? And this might be too broad, but I don't care. What, you know, what does it look like to be a track and field coach? Like, what does your seasons of life look like? Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest misconception of like a full time college coach or, even somebody who's not officially full-time, but just a college coach in general, because most coaches, even though they're hired part-time work full-time, um, you know, I think the misconception is that, oh, there's like, there's days, you know, like you have summers off, like there's nothing to do. Right. Whereas the reality is there's always something to do, um, especially obviously recruiting. And I, you know, I, I talked to some of our basketball coaches or baseball coaches and things like that is uh, recruiting track and field there's more of an economics to it than there is in uh, in like a basketball or baseball. And in some of those other sports, you can kind of go to tournaments and you can find a, a diamond in the rough. Uh, you can find a kid's like, Oh, this kid's really going to fit my system. And there might not be a lot of other schools looking at them. Whereas you and I, we can go on mile split and athletic.net and we can see the demand for sprinters that run 10, five because there's only going to be so many of those, like you can count them up. And so, yeah, there, like I said, I guess that that's where like the supply and demand could, becomes more obvious to, to college coaches. And so it takes a lot more, uh, you know, how are you working to s set yourself apart? And a lot of times that, that means creating relationships and recruiting. And so uh, obviously that's, that's, that's the obvious answer is, most coaches, you know, if, if you don't have anything to do, you should be recruiting. Um, but I'd say, again, for me and the, the program I'm going into, but most programs out there, uh, there's always something to be 
fundraised for, there's always something that can be built next. And again, I think this is another thing that goes overlooked is how are you building um, a culture beyond your program that includes alumni and that includes, you know, a, a, a steady, yeah, a steady flow of, I guess, fundraising dollars because at these lower level schools uh, where we don't have, you know, every piece of equipment that we need, we don't have the, the staffing support that we need, right? Uh, well, that has to come through fundraising, right? And, you know, people want, I, I know I, I still like to be a part of my college program and there's a connection that you have with your program uh, after you graduate that, you know, that makes you, that's, I, I don't, I don't receive, or rather I don't uh, open the emails from the advancement department from my college. I open the emails from the head coach of the program though, because I was still involved in that program. And, and when you can build an alumni connection that, you know, when people give, they actually feel a part of the, the, the continued success of the program and building that culture uh, takes a while. It takes a long time to get people to understand that vision. And um, it's much more of a, especially as a head coach, it's much, much more of a CEO type vision of what you're doing to work, um, which, yeah, like you said, a lot of that people just think it's, it's writing workouts and, and sitting back in the summer, but it's much more than that. <laughs> uh Random question at a, you know, I'm taking a right turn. What's better athletic.net or mile split? Oh man. <laughs> I heard you guys talking about this in the last podcast. And I was like, man, I don't want to. <laughs> hey, I'm not affiliated with either one of them. Yeah, I'm not getting well, sponsor bucks. Well, I know. Uh, Let's just say it. Typically... Athletic.net sucks. But yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, Athletic.net has its positives in certain areas. Um, like I, I'd say that they do a decent job in like California and in the West Coast. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was looking up times for other areas. And I think the, the more remote you get, the harder it is. But I think MileSplit does a good job of trying to catch everything pretty much. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's always going to be up to the individual coach or meet manager to throw those things out there. Right. It's always going to... Go ahead. I was just saying, it's always the thing. You know, it's going to yeah. be one of those things. I can imagine recruiting being very difficult when you're like athletic.net had five races that weren't on there. And those are pretty big races for this kid. Well, yeah. And I mean, honestly, as a, if you are looking, especially in our sport, you know, these days kids try to tell me about, you know, hand times and their, their coach took them in a split time. Well, if it's a split time, I, I got to see a video, you know, if it's, if it's a hand time, I am really not going to put much weight into it. Uh, you know, and then even I, I even look at, you know, again, I go on athletic.net or something like that. And if I don't see a wind gauge or something like that, like I'll look at the times and then I'll see, okay, well, you ran three tenths of a second faster than any other race that you ran, but there was no wind reading. And so it's just like things like that, where mm -hmm. as, as a high school athlete, you know, taking advantage of Saturday meets when there is those official timing, like that's, that stuff's important versus, uh, versus your dual meet where, you know, Mrs. Johnson is, uh, is timing you in, in lane three or whatever. Or the jumps coach is trying to get four by four splits and there's all right. over the place. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Mickey, you, you started this podcast talking about like, I don't know why I'm on here and I need you to be affirmed. You're on here because you bring a wealth of wisdom and humility. And it's really important for a lot of people, this, the listening audience to hear about the experience of a D2, D3 program and what the kind of person and coach they're going to get. As a high school coach, I desire my athletes to go to a place they're going to be taken care of. They're not going pro in track and field. However, it's really cool for them to go have an experience at four years at a school to get an education and be taken care of by a coach like you. So that's why you're on here, big boy. And so I, I appreciate <laughs> you, man. And um, can you tell us where we can follow more of what you're going to be doing at Gordon college in Massachusetts? Yeah, um, actually I am. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can follow most of my social media is just coach Mila, you know uh, I believe it's just coach Mila, but uh, I, I think that's me on Twitter and um, and Instagram, uh, but Gordon underscore XCTF. That's our, that's our Instagram. Uh, I mean, I'm so new to this. I'm, I'm not sure if we have a Twitter. I'm sure we do. We have something like that, but you know, for me, I I'll, I'll try to interact on Twitter and things like that, but, uh, you know, Instagram Gordon XCTF, that's, that's going to be the big one at, uh, for, for the team. And then me is just, uh, coach Mickey Myler or coach Myla. That's great. And then I'll be sure to tag you when we, we broadcast this podcast out there. Um, Appreciate that, man. Coach Mila, man, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by OnTrackAndField.com, where they can do price matches. Uh, you can get a quote requested. Um, you even can go on there. I don't know anybody else is doing this. Um, you can just go put your PO on there and they'll take care of it. And I'm not sure if you're listening to this, but there's a big stick blowout. And uh, if you like carbon fiber poles that are $1,000, well, 20% off right there on trackandfield.com. They're also relaybatons.com. So stick around for a little longer and you can listen to our CEO of On Track and Field, Steve, with his amazing voice and little triceps, talk about how to get in contact with them on social media. So Coach Mila, you and your big juicy triceps, thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, Steve, it's up to you. Thanks to our host, Coach JT Ayers, and our guest, Coach Mickey Mila, for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved meat and competition legal relay batons, and water bottles and tumblers, the perfect way to keep your team hydrated during these dog days of summer, and by OnTrackAndField.com, everything the athlete, coach, and parent needs for a successful cross-country and track season, and save 15% on your entire order when you use the word Track Talk at checkout, and don't forget to follow Follow us on our socials at OnTrack, the letter N field, at OnTrack and field on Twitter and the gram.